Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there, and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. Uh, Today I'm going to be talking little bit about the Nazi-Soviet Pact of 1939, its uh, its origins, the uh, factors that prompted it into existence, and really the, the implications, the aftershock of this, uh, this treaty. By 1936, Stalin had three countries in mind as the greatest threats to the Soviet Union, Germany, Poland and Japan, and he was convinced there was some sort of policy of encirclement uh, going on around his borders. The um, reason he was particularly concerned about the Poles, I mean, ironically, the Poles presented uh, next to no military threat to him, but he had long bitter memories of 1920. Uh, In 1919, Poland had tried to seize the east of Ukraine. Um, It seemed uh, an ideal opportunity. The Soviet Union was in chaos. The Polish state was uh, founding itself just after the Treaty of Versailles. And there was uh, were ethnic Poles in eastern Ukraine, so um, the Polish government and uh, Marshal Pilsudski saw it as an opportunity to seize that territory and expand the borders of Poland as east as far east as possible, and wait for the Versailles peacemakers to have their verdict and hopefully help defend these borders in future. The Red Army uh, fought back and pushed the. Um, Polish invaders out of uh, Ukrainian territory, marching all the way to the gates of Warsaw, where they were crushed by Pilsudski's armies, and uh, the the Red Army uh, in Poland was uh, virtually annihilated. The two political commissars that went with uh, the Soviet generals were Stalin and Trotsky, and both of them bickered between the other as to who was responsible for the disaster. The uh, Soviet security forces of the 1920s and 30s were obsessed with this porous border that existed between Ukraine and Poland, convinced that Polish saboteurs and spies were crossing over from time to time to cause unrest amongst the Ukrainian peasants, who in the 1930s obviously are victims of famine and uh, are pretty resentful towards the Soviet authorities themselves without any help from the Poles. Uh, and in the the the, convi- the conspiracy theory is that that Poland was attempting to find clever ways to detach Ukraine again, perhaps the Ukrainian uprising, and have the uh, uh, ethnically Polish Ukrainians uh, attach their part of Ukraine to Poland. Obviously, all works of uh, of fantasy. 
So, um, as far as Japan went, Japan was the main anti-communist power in the East. And once again, it was the Soviet Union's poorest borders that made Stalin yet more suspicious of the Japanese, other than the fact that the Japanese had not only defeated Russia in 1905, but also been part of the Allied um, anti-Soviet invasion uh, of 1919-21. The Japanese had lingered around until about 1922, and... They'd seen really, uh, they'd been um, rather keen on annexing a large chunk of Siberia for themselves. The Japanese government had even handed out posters to its people and postcards and flyers saying, Come to the wonderful new territory of Siberia, it'll be great. Or, you know, I paraphrase, but words to that effect. The, during the Soviet famines, uh, the attempt to collectivize not just the Ukrainians but the Kazakh um, nomads had had catastrophic effects upon them. Uh, the nomads survived through having a migratory pattern in um, across the border into China, into Western China, and back into the Soviet Union again. And Stalin's reading of that was that China was now Japan's fiefdom, and therefore these Kazakhs were probably Japanese spies. Again, this is, um, you know, pure paranoia. But it wasn't simply Stalin's paranoia. It was a, a wide-ranging paranoia that you can see in the top echelons of the Soviet government all the way down to the lowest rungs and widespread throughout the Soviet population. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, extolling the virtues of Sheila Fitzpatrick's um, everyday Stalinism and the exploration of Soviet paranoia is, is quite well done there. It's well worth a read. I suppose the reason for this degree of paranoia was the fact that the Soviet Union was a revolutionary society. It was a society born of a revolution that evidently a great deal of the world's powers wanted to put down. And so much of the paranoia that you see emerging is, is similar to the kind of sentiments expressed in the years after the French Revolution, when France is fighting its revolutionary wars which are in large part to start with, wars of national survival and uh, the survival of the revolution, which is at that point, you know, the expression of nationhood. And of course, the third power, Germany, um, Stalin looks at and astutely observes that there may be trouble coming from Hitler. Stalin's understanding of Hitler was, was an interesting one. Stalin looked at Hitler and thought, oh, this anti-Semitism stuff, that's nothing, that's just a front, that's just, you know... Um, talk. He doesn't really believe this, uh, he doesn't really have racial theory at the heart of his um, empire. What Hitler's all about, really, Hitler is a front man for capitalists. They have um, put him up there and um, they are the guys that are pulling the strings. So we don't need to appeal to Hitler per se if we want to appease him and buy him off. We need to be talking to the capitalists that we think are behind him. And this, as I'll show later on, really shapes much of Stalin's thinking when it comes to making a deal with Nazi Germany. So Stalin looks from about 1936 onwards at the world situation and sees that there is you know, the likelihood of what he views as being an anti-Soviet war in, in the offing. And his one of the main reasons for the purges from sort of 36 to 38 are that he believes that a lot of necessary work needs to be done in Russia before, to prepare Russia for war. So you need to root out the traitors, root out the fifth columnists, root out those that will rise up in support of the invading enemy, 
to overthrow your regime as quickly as possible. And there, there does seem to be a great deal of emphasis on getting the killings done in as time-efficient manner as possible. The degree of organisation of the, uh, the, the purges, the various levels of the purges, is interesting, uh, not only because a great deal of it is centralised and handed down and, and set out in quotas, but also the quotas are expected to be reached and breached. Now, there's various reasons for that. It's not simply about the urgency, um, and we'll come on to that perhaps another time. One of the victims of the uh, Stalinist purges is the officer corps, going from uh, junior officers, lieutenants and captains, all the way through the middle ranks, all the way up to the senior ranks, and even seeing some of the, the most um, celebrated and the most important military thinkers in the USSR executed. One of the greatest errors that Stalin ever perpetrated was the execution of Marshal Tukhachevsky. Tukhachevsky was uh, one of the foremost military thinkers of the, the interwar era and believed in this idea of deep operations, of having armed spearheads pushing deep into enemy territory and encircling armies. And who read this book? The likes of Guderian, the likes of Manstein and the senior German generals um, who uh, crafted the uh, German strategies of Blitzkrieg. So um, the execution of Tukhachevsky based purely on Stalinist paranoia and Tukhachevsky's uh, unfortunately noble background um, was a, a total, total error of judgment. And by 1939, Stalin is painfully aware of how vulnerable his purges have left the Soviet Union. On the face of things, uh, Nazi Germany could not have been a more unlikely signatory of a pact with Stalin. Not only in 1936 was it joined with Italy and Japan in the anti-Comintern pact, an uh, aggressive military alliance with the clear focus on the Soviet Union, but also Hitler had been giving aid to the rebels in Spain under General Franco, and Stalin had been supporting the Republic. It's a popular idea that what Stalin wanted was for the Republic to triumph and for uh, fascism to be defeated in Spain. But I think a more likely picture is that Stalin didn't care about what happened to the Republic. He looked to be creating a long, drawn-out civil war which Hitler could be dragged into for hopefully a decade and perhaps even longer. It could, be, it could have been Hitler's Vietnam and thus be bogged down, and thus not be able to pay any attention to Russia in the long run. To explain the uh, Nazi-Soviet pact, one has to, unfortunately, think a bit like Stalin. Stalin was um, an astute judge in many ways, a, a paranoiac in others, but quite astute in some, in looking at what was happening in the West and looking at appeasement in particular. Not only did he assume, with some degree of justification, that um, appeasement was merely designed to send Hitler east instead of engaging him in the West. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. But he also assumed that if that wasn't the case, then there seemed to be no fighting qualities left in the British and French, and that there would be there was no strength among their political classes to take Hitler on. And therefore, Stalin had little faith um, that there would be any chance of a, a, a united front against Hitler, particularly when the Popular Front government in France ceases to exist. In early 1939, after the Munich Agreement, Stalin puts out feelers to the West to see if there's the likelihood of any kind of uh, diplomatic uh, diplomatic initiative occurring, but is strongly rebuffed by the British government that uh, loathes Soviet communism, perhaps even more than they distrust and fear Nazism. The result um, is that Stalin considers that he might be able to play the West at their own game and make an agreement with Hitler first, thus putting the West in the firing line long before Stalin is. Stalin's well aware that a war with Nazi Germany will come at some point, he hopes that a rerun of World War I might happen, that the British and the French will get bogged down with Germany in France, and that will give time, Stalin time to rebuild his armed forces and to undo the errors that he's made with his generals and to uh, def- build a defence industry that he was really working on uh, throughout the five-year plans uh, that will help to uh, create a, a very formidable Soviet Union. And the Germans look at the Soviet Union and they think, they can see that happening. They think, well, you know, we we need to, if we're going to do the Soviet Union, we need to do it in the next year or two. Because in five years, they will be not only too powerful to attack, but they will be um, sufficiently powerful to sweep across Western Europe. And one of the things that the, the Nazis, and particularly the SS, viewed themselves as was the the kind of the, the anti-communist vanguard, the, the anti-communist kind of uh, knights, uh, Teutonic knights, uh, who would be Europe's last line of defence against, um, you know, the Bolsheviks and the, the Jews that seemed to be controlling them, etc., etc. So there was a, a, a sense of, of, of urgency 
um, on the Nazis side as well. Traditionally, Germany has always sought to avoid wars on two fronts. It's something that was a centre point of Bismarck's strategy in the latter quarter of the 19th century, and it was a uh, main failing of uh, Wilhelmine uh, diplomacy that a war in two fronts was possible at all, and that um, Russia felt sufficiently alienated in 1914 to have relations with one of its most loathed adversaries, Britain. So from that point of view, the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact makes sense. The, the Nazi-Soviet Pact, that is, uh, signed by uh, Joachim von Ribbentrop and uh, Vyacheslav Molotov, the foreign ministers from both countries. The uh, ability to divide the uh, Western allies from the Soviet Union, uh, Hitler viewed it, the later combination of the two as this kind of rather ludicrous chimera of... Uh, um, oligarchic capitalists with uh, Bolshevik Jewry, and the common conclusion he came to is like, well, the Jews are behind both. It might probably have disappointed Hitler to learn that Stalin was quite the anti-Semite himself. So in uh, April of 1939, the Nazis put out feelers to the Soviets to suggest to them that there is a, a pact on the table, if possibly they want it, and it's uh, probably a far better deal than the Western Allies can offer. Stalin is uh, probably quite relieved at this and thinks that this is going to buy him some time. The uh, first um, um, diplomatic gesture from uh, Ribbentrop is that there should be a 100-year non-aggression treaty between the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany. And Stalin dismisses this, you know, in his... uh, inimitable, um, slightly casual style, says, no, this is, this is nonsense. And instead, he proposes a 15-year non-aggression pact. And Stalin puts Molotov in charge of the discussions, uh, getting rid of, uh, or moving sideways, um, Maxim Litvinov, uh, who was Jewish, and Stalin suspected this would offend his guests visiting in Moscow. Underpinning the negotiations are, is a gigantic trade deal. Now, Stalin uh, believed that this would be the uh, sweetener to Germany's capitalist classes. This is the thing that would stop them from invading. If the uh, capitalist classes of Germany could receive cut-priced timber, coal, steel, iron ore, manganese, and whatever else they required that was currently being provided by the vast gulag uh, archipelago across Russia, then they would be far less inclined to invade the Soviet Union and far more inclined to really allow the situation to continue ad infinitum. The, uh, from, Marx's, from Stalin's reading of Marx, the thing that capitalists are interested in more than anything else is, is profit, and if you can have that without conquest, so much the better. This, of course, will help Stalin buy time. What he doesn't understand is that when Hitler talks about racial uh, rhetoric, about Lebensraum, about um, the Slavs being untermentioned and all that, he means it. He's deadly serious. And this is, one of, again, one of the great misapprehensions of Stalin. This is perhaps one of the reasons why, when the Soviet, uh, Soviet Union is invaded in 1941, that Stalin is so taken aback and so surprised and so stunned at his miscalculation. And the pact, of course, contained a secret protocol. It contained a secret protocol on the division of Poland, that 
once hostilities broke out in September 1939, that the two powers would um, cut Poland in two, and that the Nazis would take Western Poland and the Soviets would take the East. And there was a, a clear drawn-up boundary. The uh, world that inhabited, that the Poles inhabited after that, was one where there was not only the, the genocidal violence that we're familiar with in the, in the West, that has been very well documented, but also um, class-based mass killing in the East of uh, almost equivalent proportions. And one where um, the uh, NKVD and Gestapo officers periodically met and swapped notes and, and helped one another over a two-year period. Stalin also allowed for Soviet uh, for German submarines and refueling ships to uh, harbor in uh, northern northern Soviet ports and bases, and he expressed, uh, in some degree of kind of ambiguity, but not ambiguity if you can read between the lines of what Stalin is saying, um, a, a hope that the enemies of um, the Third Reich would be destroyed. And if in the future there was the opportunity for Stalin to lend a hand, well, maybe in that instance the Soviet Union would. So these are interesting and dangerous times. And during the um, second conflict that the Soviet Union would engage itself in uh, that year from um, the, in the, over the winter of 1939 to 1940, which was the invasion of Finland, which was a, a Soviet objective for some time, the, the British uh, looked to um, that conflict and wondered whether they would have to take on in the Second World War both Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union as well. Other smaller states like the, the Baltic states and Bessarabia in northern Romania became very vulnerable to the Soviet Union were an annex, and were annexed um, largely as a result of the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. And the um, failure of the Soviets to uh, conquer Finland, um, the, their defeat, uh, was largely a result of the damage that Stalin had done to the army during um, the purges. The failure of the Finland campaign, the Winter War, um, led the Soviets, the Nazis, I beg your pardon, to conclude that really there was little fight left in the Soviet Union anyway. I think Hitler used the term that uh, the Soviet Union was like a, a rotting edifice and uh, one one good kick on the door and the whole thing would come crashing down. Um, this was obviously a rather optimistic verdict on, on the Soviet Union who... Uh, quickly learned from their mistakes and um, applied the, the thing, the failings that they had uh, learned from to the defeat of the, Soviet, of the Nazis after 1941. Okay, well that's just a, a quick run through of the Nazi-Soviet pact. Now I have written an ebook on this very subject, uh, Hitler, Stalin and the Destruction of Poland. So if you'd like to know some more about this, there's a link below this podcast and you can go straight to get the the ebook and download it. Um, a, a scintillating read, getting some great reviews as well, if I dare say so myself. 
Um, next week we'll be looking at the counterculture in the United States during the 1960s and a host of other fascinating topics and prepare yourselves for the uh, all new extra feature length explaining history review podcast next week there'll be some interesting new features I'm sure you'll love thanks very much for listening and I'll catch you on the next podcast bye bye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.